welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, this is James, and welcome to episode 21 of the Madden America podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to get in touch and for sharing your feedback with me. It is very much appreciated. This week, my guest is Dr. Jay Joseph. Dr. Joseph is a clinical psychologist and author who brings a critical perspective to claims in the media and the academic literature that disordered genes underlie psychiatric disorders. His most recent books are The Trouble with Twin Studies, a reassessment of twin research in the social and behavioral sciences in 2015, and the 2017 ebook Schizophrenia and Genetics, The End of an Illusion. In this interview, we discuss the evidence for a genetic basis for mental disorders and the reasons why psychiatry is still searching even after many decades of work. Dr. Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me for the podcast. Firstly, for the listeners, could you tell me a little about yourself and what led you towards psychology and in particular your interest in research in genetics and the relationship to psychiatric disorders? Uh, Yes, I'm a clinical psychologist in California and uh, In the 90s, I was in my graduate program. I got interested in some of the, you know, critical psychiatry uh, authors of the 60s and 70s. And I noticed that, you know, schizophrenia was a big topic there about whether it was, um, you know, a valid construct or, um, you know, the political, social aspects of it. So and then I noticed that there were a lot of claims that schizophrenia was, you know, heavily genetic. So I kind of wanted to look into that issue. So that was the topic of my dissertation in the late 90s. The genetics of schizophrenia, which has kind of launched, you know, what I've been doing ever since for the last 20 years. But I kind of discovered that the evidence in favor of genetics is very weak, and a lot of it's based on twin and adoption studies. And especially twin studies seem to me like there's something really wrong here. Why is everybody citing these as in favor of genetics when it's obviously um, got a lot of problems? So I looked very deeply into that and. Uh, that was the late 90s, and I've been kind of writing about critiquing genetic theories and psychiatry, psychology, behavioral, uh, social sciences ever since. Thank you. And I'm aware that there are some bold and impressive claims from psychiatry about the link between mental disorders and genetics. But what I was fascinated to read about in your work is that psychiatry has been searching for decades for genetic factors that may underlie mental ill health. And I just wondered if you could sum up for us what we do and don't really know about the role that genetics play. Yes, there are a lot of claims, and uh, these are repeated in textbooks and you know authoritative authors. Many, many claims that are repeated over and over and over again to give the impression that these are absolute truths. In reality, um, the evidence is very weak. Uh, they've been looking for genes for all you know so-called mental disorders for decades and decades. The Human Genome Project has been completed, and yet. Uh, they've discovered no genes that cause a major psychiatric disorder, such as bipolar, or schizophrenia, etc. So uh, even though the media will tend to sensationalize claims and give the impression that genes have been found, in fact, they have not been found. And so what they do is, you know, they fall back on these twin studies, mainly and adoption studies and family studies, claiming that these definitively prove that genetics play a role. Uh, and my, my critique, and also, you know, the critique of a lot of people before me, kind of laying the groundwork, is that these studies really don't prove anything about genetics. So despite everything that's written in the media and textbooks and all of these things, uh, there's actually, the evidence is really weak, uh, and the studies claiming to show that there's a strong genetic component are actually uh, 
extremely biased, and they're based on false assumptions. So this is a critical point. This has been pretty much my work for the last 20 years is trying to explain this to people. Well, it seems almost as big a myth as the chemical imbalance. And just earlier, I was on the website of the American Psychiatric Association, and I just happened to be looking at a page on eating disorders, and it confidently states that the cause is one-third genetics and two-thirds environment. But there was no reference study. So it's easy to see why the general public will assume that genetics play quite a large part in mental illness. Yes, they do. And um, just because the general public doesn't really know the research that much, and it's you know, the experts uh, who keep saying that, just keep repeating these things without really doing critical analysis of the research, uh, which is actually pretty faulty. But it's just something that's just repeated over and over until people believe it. And it's also, you know, it's a simple thing. We don't really have to understand complicated aspects in the social, political, family environment that harm people psychologically. It's just very simple to say, oh, it's in the genes. So it's easy. It's an easy sell, even though the evidence is not there. And, you know, I also wanted to add, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. So clinical psychologists, you know, we know we see the damage that bad environments cause to people, childhood, abuse, trauma, uh, oppression, these kind of things. You know, we see the psychological damage this does every day. So especially as clinical psychologists, the genetic argument, you know, we see the effects of the environment every day in our work. And Dr. Joseph, you mentioned that both twin and adoption studies have been a key feature of the hunt for the elusive faulty gene. And I wondered if you could help me understand how these kinds of study are used to try and demonstrate the link between genetics and mental disorders. Okay, I'm going to first talk about twin studies, because those are the main studies that are are used. Uh, Adoption studies are not used as often, but in schizophrenia they are, which I'll get to. But Twin studies, uh, it's the classical twin method. And I, I do want to emphasize that in twin studies, you have studies re- reared kept twins who are reared together in the same home and twins who are supposedly, allegedly reared apart. So the reared apart studies are only about psychological characteristics such as IQ, personality, a few things like that. And those are very controversial and been discussed. But as far as psychiatry and psychiatric disorders are concerned, we're only talking about twins who are reared together. So not separated, reared apart, but reared together twins. So the method that's been used since the 1920s is called the classical twin method or the twin method, uh, which compares the behavioral resemblance of monozygotic MZ twins, identical twins, versus same-sex dizygotic DZ twins, fraternal twins. So because identical twins are uh, share the same genetic, 100% genetic uh, resemblance, fraternal twins, DZ twins, 50% on average. There's some controversy around that too, but I, I won't go into that now and we'll just work on that uh, basic assumption. So what the researchers do is they gather groups of MZ twins reared together Let's say 100. Let's say they find 100 pairs and 100 pairs of DZ twins reared together, and they compare the behavioral resemblance for a psychiatric disorder where the first twin is diagnosed, let's say, with schizophrenia, and then they, they go to see how many of their co-twins are diagnosed with schizophrenia. So what you know usually happens, almost always happens, with all aspects of behavior, psychiatric disorder, schizophrenia, ADHD, bipolar, autism, etc., is that identical twins, MZ twins, pairs, resemble each other more. What the term used in psychiatry is concordance rate. So they are more concordant than DZ twins for the psychiatric disorder in question. So they therefore conclude that only genetics cause this more greater behavioral similarity, concordance. 
However, all of this is based on an assumption, a critical theoretical assumption, which is called the equal environment assumption, which assumes that identical and fraternal twin pairs grow up experiencing the same environment. This, this assumption is obviously not true. MZ twins, um, you know, they experience much more similar environments. They're treated more alike. They experience identity confusion, fusion, attachment with each other. And so they're much more likely to be, they're raised to be alike. DZ pairs are not. So the, the assumption underlying, um, the, you know, the twin method MZ-DZ comparison is false, that MZ twins experience much more similar environments than DZ twins. And most twin researchers actually do acknowledge that. They admit that. However, they've kind of uh, invented some, some ways around that so that they could continue concluding that these comparisons prove something in, in favor of genetics. Um, I won't get into the detailed critique of their two main explanations of why, but the assumption is false. So therefore, all, all studies, all twin studies in psychiatry are contaminated, confounded by environmental factors, and therefore do not prove anything about genetics, and their, their results can be entirely explained by the greater environmental similarity of MZ twin pairs. So all twin studies in psychiatry, there is no reason to accept believe that they, they prove anything about genetics, contrary to almost every textbook that's out there saying that they do. Well, I've even seen the phrase gold standard used in relation to twin studies, so it's quite shocking to hear that the way these studies are sold is different to the reality. Yes, it is, it is shocking, especially considering how little critical analysis there is out there. I mean, I've, I've surveyed many, many textbooks, and you know, sometimes they will mention that it's controversial, but they were almost always, most of the time they will cite without any critique that these twin studies prove something about genetics and also in media, uh, newspapers, magazine reports. It's not always, there are, there are some exceptions, but you know, when things aren't challenged, people just accept that. And that, that's also true for politics and the news and history and all of these things that people are told the same thing over and over you know, they tend to believe it. The critics are usually marginalized in the media and in the academics. Thank you. And given the limitations of twin studies and the difficulty in separating genetic from environmental factors, I understand then that research effort was put into adoption studies. And I just wondered if you could help me understand how those studies were used. Uh, in my most recent book on schizophrenia and genetics, the ebook, I go very into great detail about the Danish adoption studies of schizophrenia. Uh, generally, adoption studies are not done as often because they're harder to do to, you know, locate and track down adoptees, and twins are much more available. Uh, so there have been a lot less adoption studies, mainly in um, criminality, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia are the main ones, uh, ADHD. So. But the, the general idea of adoption studies, which ironically, adoption studies are only done because people have doubts about twin studies. People say, well, maybe they are kind of contaminated by environmental factors. So therefore, we're going to do adoption studies, which now, is, as the people, you know, the supporters of adoption studies say, okay, well, these studies will make a definitive separation of environmental and genetic influence because a child is adopted and then raised in the environment of another. So that's really the, the main claim to fame of adoption studies, that they're claimed to do that. In fact, um, two aspects. I'll, I'll just concentrate on the schizophrenia adoption studies. They don't make a, as nearly a clean a break as they say for many, many reasons. One is first you have prenatal environment that the child grows up in for nine months. Second, most of the time adoptions are not made at birth, that the child spends time with the birth parent. So there's this attachment rupture that the child experienced being kind of 
abandoned by birth parents, um, could be months or even years in some cases. And then a lot of times, especially when a lot of the studies that were done uh, looking at children raised in the 20s, 30s, 40s in Europe, uh, they were abandoned and they were put in orphanages and foster homes during very difficult you know, conditions, nurtureless environments. So they experience uh, these things also. Um, you know, another thing, too, is that the, the birth parents are not typical uh, who give away a child for adoption are not typical of birth parents. They usually have more psychological problems, which, you know, was the reason they gave away the child in the first place. And adoptive parents are, um, you know, they're screened by mental by adoption agencies for um, mental health. But the main factor contaminant is selective placement. So the genet the perceived genetic background of a child is used to determine, and also socioeconomic status, is used to determine placement. So adopted children are not placed randomly, that they're carefully placed based on the agency's perception of their you know, background and potential into different homes. And if, especially in the era where a lot of the schizophrenia studies were done, that children who born to parents with a family background of mental disorders, schizophrenia, you know, were considered, and the term they used was tainted, you know, tainted children. So they would not have been placed into the same kind of homes as children who did not have this background. So uh, that's a selective placement, which is almost on par with the equal environment assumption in twin studies as, you know, a major assumption that is not true uh, in psychiatric adoption studies. Having said that, um, these studies are especially the Danish-American schizophrenia adoption studies, Seymour Ketty, Rosenthal Wender, and their Danish colleagues are severely biased. The way these studies were done were basically um, just the researchers just picked and chose, expanded uh, definition of schizophrenia, changed comparison groups, did everything possible to get make some kind of comparisons that they claim prove something about genetics. So it's some of the you know uh, most biased research that's been out there, uh, which critics have commented upon for 40 years, but psychiatry texts usually don't give much credence to what the critics say. So, uh, you know, in my latest work, I really try to show in really great detail the uh, massive methodological flaws and biases of these studies, in addition to the problems with adoption studies, and um, which I already have mentioned. So they're actually, these studies really do not prove anything about genetics, especially the schizophrenia adoption studies. And this is a big point in my writings in the last 20 years. Thank you. And Jay, are twin ed adoption studies still going on or have they fallen out of favor now? Uh, they perform twin, st twin studies are being done all the time. Uh, not as much for the psychiatric disorders because these have already been done. And uh, But there, there still are some. But the more they've already laid the groundwork, they've done these studies and they've shown that MZ twins are more concordant and then they claim in favor of genetics. So a lot more twin studies are done for a lot of other behavioral kind of characteristics. Almost any anyone, anybody could ever imagine. Um, not necessarily in the in the area of psychiatry, uh, but all all kinds of human behavior. It's also are also used in medicine and other areas, uh, even economics, political science, even believe it or not, uh, areas like that. So, and not as many adoption studies. There may be a few adoption studies that have been done, but not as many. I mean, they're very they're hard to do. They're expensive. So yes, they are still being done. But the you know, while this has been going on, the main point is that. In the 1980s, psychiatry was expecting to find all, all these genes for all of the psychiatric disorders. In other words, you know, the twin studies have been done, the adoption studies have been done for psychiatric disorders, all of which 
the technological tools were in place in the 1980s, uh, especially following the Huntington's disease gene finding, uh, that psychiatry was expecting to find genes for all the psychiatric disorders that would have all been discovered in the 80s. Uh, and this is, you know, some later researchers, 20 or 30 years later, said they called it the euphoria of the 80s, that this is when all of the genes would be discovered for the psychiatric disorders. But actually, they weren't. And so it was a massive shock and disappointment for psychiatric genetics, psychiatry. Uh, and to this day, this is, you know, 30 years later, more than 30 years later, uh, we're continuing to not find any genes for psychiatric disorders that cause psychiatric disorders. There's a lot of claims of association. And I do want to add that most of these claims are found, they're not replicated, so they're, they're, they don't hold up. So that's one of the reasons they don't do as many twin and adoption studies is because now, okay, now is the time to look for genes, but they have not found genes. And that's really one of the key points. And instead of concluding that maybe there are no genes for psychiatric disorders, they just keep looking and looking and looking and looking and giving reasons why they don't find them. But this, this cannot go on forever. So at some point, the bubble will burst and science will need to kind of really seriously look at you know, the twin and adoption studies that spurred the search on in the first place. There's been much debate about the validity of psychiatric diagnoses such as schizophrenia. And I wanted to ask whether genetic factors can be reliably used to validate psychiatric disorders. You know, if there were a genetic component and there were genes, you know, then that would help validate, validate psychiatric disorders as biological entities. Or if there were, you know, brain lesions or growths or something like that. But, you know, there isn't that and there are no, you know, they haven't found genes for psychiatric disorders. So theoretically, if they were to find some, it could help validate the disorders, but um, they haven't. So this is really um, solid, more evidence that they're not valid. You know, plus another aspect of how schizophrenia, you know, as critics have said over the decades now, how schizophrenia is defined, you know, the DSM and, um, you know, ICD, other definitions, two people um, can have the same diagnosis, you know, have different symptoms. Uh, the way the Danish the schizophrenia adoption studies define schizophrenia is wildly different and much wider and broader than molecular genetic researchers who are looking for genes for schizophrenia today. So current molecular genetic researchers are defining uh, schizophrenia incredibly differently than the adoption study researchers upon whose work that, you know, their searches are based, which is, I think, ironic. So, th yeah, just to, you know, to summarize, theoretically, if, a you know, a gene, genes were found to cause these disorders, which they have not been, uh, it could help validate them. But the fact that they haven't is actually additional evidence that psychiatric disorders are not you know, valid, reliable, biological entities. Well, I can see why psychiatry has spent so much time and effort trying to prove that there was a biological and genetic basis for their diagnoses. And it must be quite crushing to never have found the answers that they were seeking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and they, you know, this is what they expected to find. And the ironic part, you know, as Thomas Saz used to say, which I think is a really important point, is that if psychiatric disorders in some way were validated as valid biological entities, they would then be taken out of psychiatry and they would be studied and treated by neurology, which studies, you know, true brain disorders. So psychiatry just has a bunch of diagnoses and disorders that are claimed to be biological, claimed to be genetic, uh, with not really very good evidence. But if they actually were shown to be brain diseases, they wouldn't be psychiatric disorders, they would be brain diseases. So that's kind of the ironic part that psychiatry has disorders that are, 
you know, I really emphasize the word claimed, but not proven to be brain disorders. So this is a major point that psychiatry doesn't ever seem to really want to talk about. And Jay, are psychiatry still putting significant effort into genetics research? Are they still pursuing the genetics angle? Oh, absolutely. That's the foundation of psychiatric disorders. Um, and, you know, the search for genes, you know, as I said, is going on, uh, you know, brain disorder, as far as the causes. Here, the, as far as the causes of psychiatric disorders, the main emphasis of research is looking inside the body. You know, the uh, genes, brain disorder, chemical imbalance, all of these things that, I mean, lip service is given to the environment. So they do recognize the environment plays a role. Okay. It's important to emphasize that. But the main emphasis is inside the body. There's some something in the brain, in the genes that they need to unlock to really be able to treat and cure these disorders. So what you know, what many critics, including myself, uh, what we emphasize that the causes of these behaviors, and I'm not saying disorders or condition, but the behaviors that kind of fall under the psychiatric uh, label area are, you know, the causes are out, you know, outside of the body. So treatment, abuse, oppression. Um, consumerism, all of these things, uh, isolation in Western societies, all of these things, um, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, et cetera, that the, the causes are outside of the human body. And that's where research should be focused. And so focusing on the body, it really diverts and obscures really the damaging aspects of the social and political and family environments that people grow up in. So the, so the, the, the psychiatry is looking inside the body, and uh, critic, many critics uh, are saying that this is a really wrong approach and we should be looking outside of the body to the extent that we are describing you know, human suffering. And also, Jay, you explained really well there that we should be focused on social and environmental factors. And also from some of your writing, I got the sense that if psychiatry ever did prove a genetic difference and could label people and say this group of people are genetically different and that's the reason for their problems, then that could lead to very concerning approaches like legalized discrimination and even eugenics. Uh, yes, it does. And, you know, the history of that, I've written a lot about that. And um, yes, it does as far as labeling people. Um, and But, you know, also, even if there were, for example... Let's just say, for example, schizophrenia were a valid disorder and it had a genetic underpinning with an environmental component. You know, we can't change genes, but we can change environments, you know. So if there's a predisposition to being uh, developing depression, when you, if you're bullied as a child, um, you know, we can do something about bullying. We can stop bullying. We can enforce rules. We can have zero tolerance and we can protect children from being bullied regardless of whether you know the people have a genetic predisposition or not so even if there were a genetic predisposition you know, as far as emphasis you know that we could still make the environment a healthy place that uh, predispositions would not express themselves in these disorders um this is just hypothetical if there were disposition predispositions which i don't see any evidence for so even if there were some genetic component it's still a question of, you know, the emphasis and how society wants to emphasize um, looking at these situations and improving. It could still focus entirely on improving the environment. Absolutely. And also the power within an individual to change their own circumstances is important, isn't it? But to tell someone you're genetically different, you're flawed, and there's nothing that you can do about it, people can't fight that. And they may think I'm genetically inferior or faulty. 
That's absolutely true, especially obviously when it's not true. So this is even more of a crime when this people are told this, uh, which I might add, a lot of the textbooks are very wrong as far as what authoritative experts and textbooks write about schizophrenia genetic research. Very wrong, uh, really giving the impression they really don't know the, even the original research themselves. So. So in the case of when that actually is true, um, let's say, for example, something like Huntington's disease, you know, that, that is true. There's, for right now, there's no treatment. You will have, you know, the, the symptoms of Huntington's disease because you have the genes. You know, that's a, a difficult thing to tell people. But when people are told these things for behavioral disorders or dysfunction, uh, this, it's totally untrue. So um, people are being told things that are not true. And this is really wrong. And that, that, that also goes into the... The chemical imbalance theory, brain disorder theory, too. Those are just theories without much evidence. But I do want to add that there could be somebody could have a brain dysfunction that would not be genetically based. So it doesn't mean you have to have both. You know, so you could somebody could theoretically, you know, have a brain disease that has nothing to do with genetics. But usually they're kind of put together. So people are told these things, um, and the people who tell them usually don't really know. You know, the really evidence haven't really critically analyzed the evidence. And some of the writing that I've seen, Jay, is quite bold in saying that there's a genetic basis for all mental illness. It's not even specific to a disorder or condition. But as you've so eloquently said, there's so little evidence to support that statement. Well, there's evidence they claim, but the evidence is very, uh, very faulty. So the twin studies, you know, that's really the main evidence that they use for all of the. That's why they say that, because all twin studies show you know, higher MZ concordance and DC concordance, but they don't really look, you know, at the, the main, the main assumption that underlies that uh, conclusion, which is false. So they, uh, the, just the uncritical acceptance of twin research and also family studies. So that's kind of the question about running in the family. Um, you know, most genetic researchers will admit that running in the family doesn't, it proves nothing about genetics because, Family members share a common environment as well as common genes. So that's another real common misconception that running in the family proves that something's genetic. And that's absolutely not true, uh, which even most genetic researchers admit. That's why they, they do twin and adoption studies to supposedly, according to what they believe, that would really show that it's genetic. So uh, running the family, I really want to get that out there to listeners. Running the family does not prove anything about genetics. It could be caused entirely by a envi common environment, and most genetic researchers agree with that statement. Uh, in the case of schizophrenia, while a lot of studies that do, you know, they study the first-degree biological relatives of people diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh, usually do have, you know, not a great, but a, a higher rate than would be expected in the population or a control group, on the, about 4% instead of 1%. Um, which doesn't prove anything about genetics because it could be caused by the environment. But also, uh, most people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia have no family history of schizophrenia. This is even stated in the DSM-5 that most, I mean, almost verbatim, most people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia have no family members diagnosed with schizophrenia. I think about 90% of the people diagnosed with schizophrenia, their parents are not diagnosed with it. About 65% have absolutely no family history whatsoever, going all the way down to cousins, grandparents, etc. So this is very difficult to explain, for example, in the case of schizophrenia, how a so-called genetic disorder uh, that people are diagnosed with, they uh, most of the time they have no family members diagnosed with it. So just wanted to get that point out to people. That's very important. Thank you. And Jay, was there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Okay, I just wanted to share that, you know, despite everything that's written in the major, 
you know, the textbooks and authoritative authors and the media that the evidence in, in favor of genetic influences on psychiatric disorders is extremely weak. It's mainly based on twin studies and also adoption studies. And these are incredibly flawed studies that are based on obviously false assumptions. And people, you know, should understand more, you know, kind of read more what the critics have said about some of these studies. So in spite of what is just bombarded in the media and the academics, uh, there's actually very little evidence. Textbooks are systematically misleading and uncritical. And a lot of times, stunningly, uh, the authors have stunning lack of knowledge of the studies that they discuss and often get it wrong. Um, there's a lot of evidence in favor, for example, psychosis, schizophrenia. There's a lot of evidence that's come out in the last 15 years of environmental factors that play a big role. Uh, that tends to be downplayed, but the evidence is out there that environmental factors, environmental factors play a huge role in causing people psychological damage. And it's not just in their history, but it's, you know, in the way, you know, it kind of comes into more critique of society that we live in. And there can be societies that are set up that can be psychologically harmful to people and just advertising, consumerism, oppression, isolation, racism, all of these things uh, psychologically damage people. And the people that per perpetrate the oppression have an interest in not having us see that. So the main way they do that is financing and promoting research into the body so that we don't really look at the environmental factors that really cause uh, harm, psychological harm to people. So this is something, you know, critics have been saying for a long time. Also, I just want to add, you know, the psychopharmacological industry has a great interest in um, trying to get people to believe that psychiatric disorders or medical disorders, you know, in need of medical treatment like other real medical disorders so they have a huge interest in saying schizophrenia is biological it's genetic you need to take these pill you know very expensive uh, highly profitable medication so they have a lot of money to spend to help finance and direct research so you know we're going to have a grant for this and we're going to finance this kind of research that benefits their interest and uh, there are other, you know, as I said, there's other interests in society, you know, governments and corporations and pharmaceutical industry that have an interest in locating the causes of human distress and dysfunction within the body, when in reality, the causes are outside of the human body. Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. And I'm just so grateful that there are people like you who will challenge the studies and will hold psychiatry to account on these bold statements. Well, my, my pleasure, and I really appreciate uh, taking the time to interview me. And it's, uh, you know, the Mad in America website is really, really great resource. And I'm proud to, you know, have a blog there. And I just really enjoy watching the site and, and your work and the podcast and everything. It's playing a really important role in helping get another side of the uh, story out there to people. Thank you so much, Jay. It was such an interesting discussion. And I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to chat with me for the podcast. You're welcome. My pleasure. Madden America News and Updates. This week on Madden America, Peter Simons reports on a study that scientists are calling the largest randomized controlled trial of a psychological intervention for a mental health concern. Researchers found that treating insomnia using cognitive behavioral therapy delivered online appears to improve a variety of mental health concerns. Addressing sleep issues led to improvement in depression, anxiety, and psychotic symptoms such as paranoia and hallucinations. The study authors gathered thousands of college students who were experiencing insomnia and randomized half of them to receive an online CBT treatment called Sleepio. They found that not only did participants receiving the therapy improve their sleeping habits, 
but they were also significantly less likely to experience paranoia, hallucinations, depression and anxiety. The research was led by Daniel Freeman, affiliated with the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford, and the study was published in The Lancet Psychiatry. Freeman and his team assigned 3,755 college students at 26 different universities in the UK to receive either usual care or online CBT for insomnia. Some of the students exhibited varying levels of depressive, anxious or psychotic symptoms. The researchers collected data at the beginning of the intervention, at three weeks, at the end of treatment at 10 weeks, and at a 22-week follow-up to determine if results held true for months after the intervention. There was a high dropout rate for the online CBT group. Only 69% of the students even logged on for a single session, while just 50% received two sessions. By the sixth session, only 18% took part. But even with this dropout rate, the difference between groups was significant. The sleep of the group receiving the treatment improved considerably. After treatment, 62% of the 733 individuals in the treatment group when compared to only 29% of the 1,142 individuals in the control group scored outside the clinical cutoff for insomnia. The reductions in psychotic experiences, depression and anxiety, and increases in functioning and psychological well-being were lower but still significant. Additionally, those who received CBT for insomnia also showed substantial improvement in measures for daily functioning and psychological well-being. Freeman and his colleagues write that although sleep problems are often viewed as a symptom of mental health concerns, they may in fact be a cause of mental health concerns. Sleep problems are associated with almost every mental health diagnosis, including depression, anxiety and psychosis. It is important to note that the study sample was predominantly white and female, and that they were university students. It is thus unclear whether the results would generalise to other groups. Additionally, this was not a clinical sample. It is unclear whether this effect would hold true to those with symptoms associated with severe depression, anxiety or psychotic experiences. Nonetheless, since sleep problems are associated so strongly with most psychiatric diagnoses, treating those issues with the top recommended method CBT is very important. And if that can help reduce the severity of mental health concerns, possibly eliminating the need for riskier treatments such as medication, so much the better. For more on this and blogs, news items, personal stories, events and more, visit madinamerica.com. So thank you for listening. Please share the podcast on your social networks and leave a review if you're listening in iTunes. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit madinamerica.com for more news, views and updates.